So my friends, when I look at my calendar for the fall, there are some important dates coming up for me. On September the 16th, it'll be my anniversary of joining the First Pres staff and getting to be with you. And October 20th, oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> um, October the 20th is the anniversary of when I was ordained here and I got to be your pastor. That was in 2019, four years ago. They've flown by. Do you remember where we were four years ago? Yeah, some people are pointing. Yeah, we were not in here. <laughs> this place was empty. This place was empty. No pews, no lecterns, no choir loft. We were over in the fellowship hall. During the renovation, there was no coffee in the JCB for us to enjoy. There were no donuts out in the welcome center. There was no pretty chapel and quiet parlor, no. We were all over in the fellowship hall. And in the first few days when I was working here, Paul Hufford came to my office and he put a hard hat on my head and he brought me in this space and he wanted me to see how the project was going. He showed me where we'd be leading you in worship. He showed me what a beautiful blessing this space was going to be. We've come a long way since then. We've come a long way. If you think back to that time, if you were with us in 2019, this building was being renovated and we worshiped over there in the fellowship hall. Do you remember there were like chairs in rows forever? We had no pews. And that little stage was used in both kinds of worship styles. And we worshiped together. We put it together every single week. And every week we took it down so that the fellowship hall could be ready for receptions or for the school. We all pulled together as one team and we worked it out, we figured it out. And then do you remember Christmas four years ago? We got to come back into this beautiful space and worship together, joyfully singing carols together and then we started hearing rumblings about a virus. And by March of 2020, this place was empty again. There were a few of us staffers coming in here and recording worship for you, but this space was empty. But through it all, we stayed together by technology. We had worship, we had Bible studies on Zoom and Sunday school class, we had daily check-ins at four o'clock, if you remember those. We stayed together with the creativity and the perseverance from Chad and from our session, from our staff. And over these short four years, we have come a long way. Well, it was much the same for the disciples and Jesus. Over the three short years of his ministry, they came a long way together. From occupations as fishermen and a tax collector, the disciples were called together and they came to know Jesus and to love him and to see him as the promised Messiah. On the night when our savior would be betrayed, 
He has supper with these men, his closest and dearest friends. And the Gospel of John chapter 13 tells us that he loved his own. He loved them to the very end. Tells us that he washed their feet before supper. That chapter tells us how they would talk about Jesus' mission on earth and then the disciples' mission, what it would be when he was gone. And for three chapters there, John grants us a glimpse, some insight into what those farewell talks were like. And then John chapter 17, after the meal, Jesus turns his face up to heaven and he prays the most beautiful and tender prayer with his father and with his dearest friends nearby. Chapter 17 is known as the high priestly prayer. Some call it the testament of Jesus. Um, You may have even heard it called the consecration of our Lord. And when you get home, read the entire prayer, the whole chapter 17. And when you do, imagine what that must have been like for Jesus. He prays knowing that his death is imminent. He initially prays for himself that God will glorify him together, father and son, with the radiant glory that they had before the world ever began. What an intimate moment. And then in the middle section, you'll see that he prays for his disciples. Imagine what that must have been like to be a disciple sitting there with your Lord, hearing him pray to the father for you. Jesus lifts them up for protection from Satan and he prays for their unity to be as close as his is with the Father. He prays for that oneness. What a tender moment. And then in verses 20 to 26, Jesus prays for us. He prays for his bride. He prays for the church. That last section of his prayer is where we're gonna be today. And I hope to shed some light on what is the point of prayer? What is the point of Jesus' thoughtful prayer to the Father on our behalf before experiencing his sacrificial death? So if you will look up John chapter 17, go to verses 20 through 26, And as we do, remember Jesus' posture of prayer. He is looking up to his Father with reverence and worship, with love. So now beginning at verse 20, Jesus says, My prayer is not for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of the believers may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that the believers may be brought to complete unity that the world will know that you sent me and have loved them 
even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So beginning at verse 20, our savior prays for us, the people who would come to believe through the disciples evangelizing efforts. Jesus anticipates us, the people who will believe in him. Not just because we've seen a miracle performed in person, no, but because of the message through the witnesses, through his disciples, in the Bible stories that we read, like the story that Beth told. Jesus anticipates his disciples continuing his work. And Jesus anticipates that as that witness spreads and the church grows, it may well become increasingly difficult for Jesus' followers to be one in spirit, one in mutual love. I mean, think about it today. We have so very many denominations and non-denominations and worship styles all around the globe. We don't always agree. You know, if they were all to agree, then we'd all be Presbyterian. (laughs) Right? But seriously, please note, Jesus is not saying that we all have to be exactly the same. Jesus is saying that we need to love each other the same. As we are each different individuals uniquely created by our heavenly father. Respecting that in one another, loving that about each other. Jesus prays for the harmony of the entire church, for his bride to be united with each other and united with him. And Jesus prays this vital unification will be as real and as close as he is with the Father. The mutual love of Father and Son indwelling in them would also be in us. And then, only then, will everyone believe that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world and the gospel is really true. It is this unity with the father and the son and then with one another that brings about action. If our hearts genuinely desire unity, then something of the divine glory of the savior will shine through us in rich splendor. It'll be beautiful attraction to people who do not know God in Jesus, who do not know eternal life. And that radiant glory, we believers 
will become one in that. Jesus in us, God in Jesus. That unity, that oneness is what he's talking about in verse 23. Now, this unity is not a simple human accomplishment. It is not humanly possible alone. It will only come about by the divine presence working in the church and the church praying as Jesus prays here in John 17, that we will believe together as one for the gospel, that there will be one heart, one mind in Christ. Jesus and God, one in unity, that we would be like them. I wanna tell you a story that helps me think about that unity, that oneness. This is a picture from 2010, the Hergert family and two other families, great friends of ours, jumped into our cars in the summer of 2010. We drove over to Missouri to Kids Across America. It's a terrific sports camp. It's supported by Canacuck. They provide a fresh experience in summer camp week after week after week to inner city youth who live in poverty, who live in the influence of gangs and drugs and crime. In this camp, thousands of urban youth come And when they leave, they are empowered to transform their home environments for Christ. So at camp, every night, they'd have a talk, they'd have a worship leader, they'd have some kind of activity. So one night, all of us suburbanites snuck in and we sat in the back and we listened to their guest speaker. He was a young man, he was a former gang member. He was probably like 26, 27 years old. And he had attended KAA a decade earlier. And he spoke that night about how a gang member's life expectancy was 24 years of age. So attending camp as a teenager, he kind of figured, eh, only got six or eight years left. What's the point? And then at KAA, he met Jesus. Oh, When he returned home, he was a different person and he tried to deny it. He tried to shake Jesus off and stay with his friends, gang members. He tried to return to his life of crime and no matter how much he tried to shake Jesus off, they were united. There was no going back. So that night when he's giving the talk, he demonstrates for the students what that was like, being united with Jesus. He had a pitcher of milk, white milk. And he grabbed that chocolate syrup and he dumped it into the milk and he stirred it all up and it became chocolate milk. And he said, that's what it was like to be so united with Jesus that when he went back home to his inner city life, you couldn't take the chocolate syrup out of the chocolate milk. It's that kind of oneness. He had come such a long way. He had come too far to turn back away from Jesus. And it's that kind of oneness, that kind of love for Jesus that is what unity is all about. Jesus prays for us 
in John 17, a harmony of love that the Father and the Son actively, eternally participate in the unity of love. And we're called to model that love. Jesus says this, in fact, in John 13, he says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This love is rooted in our very souls. It is manifested by our outward action. And that is necessary for the church to be perfected in unity. Jesus asks in this prayer that God brings us to complete unity with visible and active faith. If Christ is in his people and the Father is in him, then it follows that we share in that eternal love so that the whole world will be drawn to God. The world will know that God loves them just as he loves his son. Before the beginning of time, before Genesis 1, Jesus enjoyed God's love together in their radiant glory. And now in verse 24, Jesus prays that his followers may behold this glory and may share in it. The divine gift of glory to Jesus symbolizes God's love for him. So those who share that love will naturally share that glory. And Jesus prays in verse 24, he prays for the glorified church of the future, united with him in the place where he is going to prepare in his father's house. Jesus prays for all of us believers across time to be with him in heaven, to behold the full and radiant glory of the son exalted on the cross and victory over death. Can you just imagine one day we will, we will see that glory. At the end of his prayer, Jesus emphasizes that he has known the father that through his life and his teaching, his disciples know that God sent him. Jesus has made God's name known. That is to make his character known, his attributes known. And the son promises in verse 26, as he faces death on a heinous cross, that he will make the father known in a unique way. Jesus' obedient death expresses God's love for all of his disciples, all of his believers. Jesus takes on the punishment that we deserve. And Jesus dwells in our hearts. And as he does so more and more, we will know God's love taking hold of us. We will know that we cannot ever shake Jesus off or somehow deny the reality of him being in us and our being in him. We cannot separate the chocolate syrup out of the chocolate milk. You know, by worldly standards of success, Jesus 
had little to show for his mission. He came to make the father known, but the Jewish leaders and influencers of the day refused to hear that message. And the group of men and women who faithfully followed him, they were a very unimpressive company. Yet it was to them, to sinners and nobodies from nowhere, it was to them that Jesus entrusted his earthly mission. He dedicated them to the Father at this end of his earthly life. In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, Jesus says, I am with you. And that is good. He is with us through the joys and the trials of life. But here in John 17, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus says, I am in you. And that is still better. Following Jesus' death and his resurrection, the Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. Jesus is in us. You know, we have come a long way, First Pres, from that September in 2019, when I had the privilege to come and join this staff and to be with you and to be ordained to be your pastor. We've come a long way toward being united in our faith. And like all believers, we still have a ways to go. I recently had lunch with a wise woman in this congregation and we were discussing some of the history of First Pres. You wanna know what she said? There you go, good, good, good. You wanna know what she said. She said, you pastors come and go. You pastors come and go but the church remains through it all. And she's right, she's right. If you've been here for more than four years, you've seen other pastors, other elders. You've seen the ups and the downs. You've shared the joys of life together and you've shared heartfelt grief together. All of those experiences can bring people more and more together toward being united, especially when we remember that our Savior has already lifted us up to the Father in love. There's an amazing scholar of the Bible whom I enjoy, F.F. Bruce. He wrote this, in the high priestly prayer, the priest dedicates the sacrificial victim. It is because the priest and victim are one that the sacrifice is not only completely voluntary, but uniquely efficacious. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you to remember that the priest, Jesus, dedicates the sacrificial victim, Jesus, are one and the same? Christ offering himself in our stead in order to sanctify us, to perfect his people. This once and for all sacrifice. And by his selflessness, one day when each of us stands before our righteous God, each one of us will be seen through the lens of Jesus, forgiven. How many people are still out there who do not know this? 
How many people outside the walls of this church do not know the love of Christ? Do not have the assurance of eternal life. Some who don't even have the reason to keep on keeping on. We stand together as a loving, accepting, giving people. And when we do that, we bear the living proof of the gospel. Our actions and our attitudes as a united church will convince people that God is real. Our unity will create belief just as our disunity will foster disbelief. When we worship God on Sunday, but we do not live out our faith all the other days, we are not attractive. Observers then have a reason to doubt the validity of the gospel and Satan enjoys this subtle way of fragmenting the church. And yet, when we love, we become more and more united together and united in Jesus. Love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our souls, with all our strength, with all our minds, and love our neighbors as ourselves. There is no greater commandment from our Lord Jesus. To live out unity rooted in God's love, I encourage you today, when you get home, open up John 17, read the high priestly prayer and pray for yourself right there. Lift your face up to your heavenly father in worship, just like Jesus did. And pray that our gracious God shows first prez how we can be the answer to Jesus' prayer, how we can be evidence to the entire world that our faith is real. Amen? Amen. Please bow your heads with me as I pray. Lord God, that we would be attractive to the people who do not know you. I pray that our words, our actions would be pleasing to you and would be attractive to bring them to know you, to know that they have a savior, to know that they are loved and forgiven as we know that from you. We pray all of this in Jesus' powerful name, amen.